I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. Welcome to the library, Wanderer. Our rules are three. Respect your fellow patrons. Do not damage the library. Return your books on time. You'll need a card to check out, of course. See the front desk for that. It should be just under a week's journey from here. You'll have to give the archivist your true name, but don't worry. We'll keep it under the strictest levels of security. Oh, and stay away from locked doors. There are places here where even we will not protect you. We would like to extend a special thanks to our associate producers, Dr. Theron Sherman, Sogapple, Adrian, Ethan Childers, Uncertainty Crossing, Angie Oriana, Cameron Schaus, Lisa Person, and Salem. What you are hearing is the result of their generous support. Now please, sit back and enjoy The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey. Marde, 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 43rd day in the trees. We left Pella Vapal this morning, leaving with the good wishes of our hosts, as well as some fresh supplies. They were very generous, and our supplies will last us until we are out of the swamp and can do our own hunting again. There was a light rain this afternoon, but no more, and it looks as though it will be clear long enough for me to write this entry. Torn promised to keep an eye on the weather, so I should not be taken unaware. I looked at the book again this evening. There are words there, but they are in no script I have read. The pictures accompanying these words show a large beast, like the crocodiles that line the banks of the Trescu. However, the humans in the picture with it are completely dwarfed. There is a scale picture which shows it as ten times longer than their height. If Torn is a typical specimen, this would make the creature the size of a large dragon. However, a dragon tends not to be built that way, having its legs coming down from its body, not from out of its sides. Also, the jaws are much the same as a crocodile's. I am fairly certain that it must be a related creature. There are great crocodiles found in the southern marshes of Furswart that grow up to 25 feet long. However, I have heard of skeletons being found in the Jacoba Wastes that were twice that length. There is also a picture of two humans in a room filled with books. The older one is shouting at the younger one, and they are both watched by a rat. These scenes seem familiar to me, but I cannot think why. The humans both wear robes. This book puzzles me greatly. Rock Day, 
19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 45th day in the trees. We're finally out of the swamp. I'm glad to be free from there. It could have been worse, but I hope not to see it again. Early this morning, we hit a fork in the road, and since either choice seemed as good, we took the right. We travelled for hours, and the path was very uncomfortable, full of rocks to trip over. Torn was in somewhat better shape, being able to step lightly over them, but this slowed him down as well. By late afternoon, we were both feeling out of sorts. We were just about to stop and rest when we saw something unusual. It was a big metal structure sticking up above the trees. It looked like a building, but there were things moving on it, and so we decided to keep going. Torn was very curious. We soon walked around a bend and saw the whole structure. It was big, nearly four stories tall, and it seemed to stretch a quarter mile in either direction. The moving parts were cylinders moving up and down, giant gears turning and other machinery. There were people there too. They were crawling all over the machinery, climbing up, climbing back down and pressing buttons in various places. They looked like humans, but Torn said that they clearly weren't, having pointed ears and grey skin. We walked up to one of them and asked what the machine was. He told us that it's the engine. He said the word as though it were something very important. He then told us that he's only a sub-technolite third class, and that we should talk to the Abbott engineer. He told us where to go, and so we went around to the other side of the machine, where there was a stairway up. We climbed up to the top, and there we saw a man with a clipboard, looking over various gears and tubes. He made notes on his papers, grunting in satisfaction. Then he saw us and looked very dissatisfied indeed. Who are you? he asked, brushing back his long white hair in irritation. He had face on his hair as well as on the top and sides of his head and reached nearly to his stomach. We told him who we are and what we're doing walking through the woods. He looked at us with suspicion and then told us that he and his were the monks of the engine, charged with protecting it from harm. I am familiar with the monks of the edge, the monks of the end of time, the monks of the enigma, and the short-lived monks of free enterprise, but I am not familiar with the monks of the engine. Their beliefs seem similar, however, to the Gerali tribe of the Squampo jungle, who believe a conch shell controls the tides. The engine, he explained, ran the universe, and that they had to keep it running smoothly. He went into a long history of the engine, telling us that it had been made by the grand architect, made with the tools of creation, to keep things running when he wasn't watching. If anything went wrong, it could spell disaster. We listened politely and then said goodbye. They're clearly mad, all of them, but they believe it, and we felt it best not to argue. We walked back around, and by chance 
we noticed an open panel. Inside the panel, there were a number of buttons, including a very large one. Torn looked at it for a moment, and, making certain no one was watching, reached out and pressed the button. Nothing happened. He pressed a few of the other buttons before I took him by the collar and pulled him away. I felt there was no point in incurring the monk's wrath. We made camp several miles away, under the ruins of an old tower. Beer Day, 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 46th day in the trees. Today was fairly uneventful. However, the trees here seem to be a bit shorter. They rise above us higher than the swamp trees ever did, but not nearly as high as most of the trees in the forest. They're slimmer as well. They don't seem stunted. They seem as healthy as any of the twisted trees in these woods. I think they might be younger. Is this a new patch of forest, maybe? I did see something strange today. There was a bird that seemed to be flying backwards above me. It had orange and blue feathers, and it was flying among the branches overhead, so that I didn't get a good look at it. I'll need to keep a closer eye out to see if it passes again, and if I really saw what I thought I saw. Besides that, everything was fairly normal for these woods. We heard birds singing, caught a pair of rabbits who hadn't heard me in time, but there wasn't anything too strange. However, I feel as though something's wrong. I can't put my finger on it. Perhaps I'll discover it tomorrow. Skull Day, 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 47th day in the trees. Something very strange is happening. When we woke this morning, we found that the trees had vanished from around us. After seeing nothing but trees for so many days, we very nearly panicked. We were surrounded by bushes, grass, everything but trees. Among the grass and bushes, there were numerous bare spots. These bare spots were round, varying in size. At the centre of each was a very small plant. My first thought was that we had been transported somewhere else by magic. However, Torn looked around and said I was wrong. I thought like that, but look, look around. The trees have changed, but not the ground. I realised that he was right, seeing a hill shaped like a bear I'd seen last night. I hadn't recognised it at first, since it lacked the trees that had adorned it before. After a moment of talking, we finally realised what happened. The little plants in the bare patches... They are very young trees. While we slept, they lost their great size, shrinking until they became sprouts. This is strange, even for this forest. By standing on the hill, we could see for miles around us. In the distance, we could see trees that hadn't changed yet, but they were very far, and the path didn't head in that direction. We were at a loss for what to do. Then we heard a rumbling all around us. We looked, and in the distance, it seemed as though a wall of trees was rushing towards us. We turned, 
and trees came from that direction as well. We didn't know where to run. We simply held each other as the trees came closer. As the walls came closer, we realized that they were not actually trees moving towards us, but that trees were growing and that this growth was coming towards us. Soon the wave of growth reached us, and the trees around us burst into growth, groaning and rumbling around us. We kept as far away from any of these growing giants as possible. Dirt showered around us, and the ground beneath us moved as roots spread out. Then the noise stopped. We had been at the centre of this growth, and it stopped where we were. We did not move for some time, but finally, we decided we need to be on our way. We gathered our things, brushed the dirt off them, and left. Things were fairly normal until mid-morning. We walked among the trees, looking around them. There was disturbed dirt all around for several miles. Eventually, the trees we passed seemed to be undisturbed by the event. We thought that this might be a sign that things would be getting back to normal. How wrong we were. It started again when Torn climbed onto a large boulder to look me in the eye. He sunk, suddenly, to his thighs, and I had to pull him out. Some of the rock clung to him, as though it were a liquid. Curious, I tried to touch it, trying to find what it might be, but my hand passed through as though it were air. Suja climbed to the top and seemed to find it perfectly solid, even when I waved my hand under her. He continued on, determined to leave this strangeness behind. Shortly after noon, we heard something above us. The branches hanging over our heads were laden with apples. They seemed as though they should weigh the branch down, but instead it seemed to be straining up. As we watched, the stem of one of the fruits broke, and it fell, not down, but up. Another broke, and this one fell forward, ahead of us, until it hit another tree and caught in its branches. Soon we saw apples falling in all directions, except straight down. We hurried ahead. This reminds me of the bombardier apple tree. Malus citavolus, though of course that would be accompanied by loud bangs and smoke. As well, the apples do tend to fall down eventually. By late afternoon, it was clear that something very strange is in this part of the woods. We saw a flock of birds flying out of a cliff, and then a log rolled up a hillside, righted itself, and became a tree again before our eyes. We decided we had no choice but to try going back the way we came. We are now making our way back. We are not making camp tonight, but will keep moving. We are resting for the moment on a hilltop, where at least we can keep an eye out for what's going on around us. Erev Day, 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 48th day in the trees. There are places missing. We did not know for certain last night while we walked in the darkness, but today we find that there are entire parts of the woods that are simply gone. Not bare, but gone. 
there is nothing there. Not trees, nor grass, nor even ground. There isn't even empty space there. It hurts my eyes to look at it. Torn came close to one of these places and ventured to place a stick into this emptiness. When he pulled it back, the bark was gone and the wood seemed eaten into. We have avoided these places since. We are almost, we think, back to the engine. Torn recognizes landmarks and we will hopefully be able to warn the monks about this oddness. Hopefully, they will let us rest there and we can be on our way again. We will probably end up going back to the swamp and I'll be glad enough to do so. Anything is better than this. Suja doesn't complain. She's been very good through all of this. She said this morning that she's worried for the poor monks who live so close to this. How kind she is to think of them at a time like this. I am tired, but we dare not stop. The strangeness has not let up. And we fear that these empty places are growing. Tresday, 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 49th day in the trees. It's all Torn's fault. I should have known. We reached the engine shortly after we rested last night. It was not as we had left it. Large parts of the machine had broken. We saw gears lying around it, cylinders broken off. The parts that were left were moving fitfully. One end of it had burst and wrecked metal lay everywhere. The Abbot engineer hobbled up to us. He had a broken leg, but he had constructed a crutch from the wreckage. His face was clouded in anger. You idiots! He shouted at us. You colossal fools! He laid into us with his crutch until he fell over. It would have been comical if the other monks hadn't moved around us. Many of them were similarly injured, but what I noticed first was that most of them were armed with knives, clubs, and weapons improvised like the abbot engineer's crutch. The old man picked himself up. He screamed at us incoherently for several minutes, until finally he exhausted his anger. Then the technolite we had spoken to before, now missing a leg, walked up. Like the rest of them, he had an angry, desperate look on his face. He then began to tell us what happened. Soon after we had passed by the engine, it had exploded. Several of their number had died in the explosion, but that was, in the Technolite's own words, a minor inconvenience compared to the loss of the machine itself. Because they weren't crazy, they were right. The machine, he explained, kept track of events. It made certain that one event followed another, It kept things working smoothly. With the machine broken, things were not working smoothly and they would soon get worse. And it was all our fault. I thought about telling them that Torn had pressed the buttons, but I was fairly certain that they would fall on him then and I wouldn't abandon a friend to that. The Abbot engineer motioned for silence when he had recovered from his tirade. You wrecked the engine! he said. You must fix it. Soon, you'll be the only ones who can. I asked what he meant by that, 
when one of our guards changed. One minute, he was an older man with a long beard. The next minute, she was a young woman with long hair on her head. As you can see, he said, as the young woman stared at her body in alarm, these disturbances are affecting us as well. Tomorrow, we may not even be the same species. After that, we won't be able to keep two thoughts together long enough to even consider the machine. You're at the center of this, though. You'll be affected last. That might give you the time you need. Time for what? Torn asked, sounding eager to help. I think he was feeling guilty. You must find, the old man said, and then he disappeared, leaving behind a bowl filled with hair. You have to find the non-deterministic trout, the Technolite supplied, picking up the bowl reverentially. Coincidentally, Trudart Zephyr recently reported that in parts of Centauriland, the inhabitants worship the hair of their ancestors. We asked what this might be, and he shrugged. You figure it out. You have to skiff Zifzem Dna Ude Tir Ilkuk. We tried to speak with him more, but we couldn't get any more sense from him or the other monks. We slept by the remains of the engine and moved on this morning. We couldn't see any of the monks. There was a fine breakfast prepared where they had been camped. Under the circumstances, we decided not to eat any. Better safe than sorry. We spoke a bit about our quest as we walked. Torn says that a trout is a kind of fish, though he's never heard of a non-deterministic one before. How can we find something if we have no idea what it might look like or where it might be? As we walked, there was more evidence of strangeness. The empty holes growing larger. Torn calls them negative space. There are also trees changing ages, and I haven't seen many animals about. The ones we have seen act strangely. I saw one of those chattering tree-climbing creatures running between the trees. It sat suddenly and gave out a shrieking howl before flying away. Then there were the spiny creatures that exploded a dozen yards ahead of us. We were lucky we weren't closer. Some of the quills had buried themselves several inches in the nearby trees. We found a place where sounds came half a minute after they were made. This made it difficult for us to talk to each other. We looked around for any sort of fish. We saw a few riverbeds, but they were dry, having run into the negative space. I hope we find it in time. Troday? The changes are starting to affect us too. We can't seem to find the trout, no matter where we look. Torn speaks in rhyme all the time now. If he doesn't stop, he may have to. That's wrong. I'm thinking wrong. It's the strangeness. The negative space is bigger. He can see it all around us. We have to be very careful. Suja told me she's not happy. She says that the woods are scaring her. He told her that he's scared too. He hope we find the trout soon. He hope there is a trout. Marde? It came. The trout came. We didn't have to find it. We had to be looking for it. If you look for it, 
it will find you. Maybe, or not. I'm not sure, but it helped us. It saved what we need to fix this. We have to find the engineer, not the abbot, the other one, the one the abbot talked about. That engineer can fix everything. He's real good, the engineer. We have to find him. The trout can help. It says it will be dangerous, but we'll have no choice. We have to do it. What am I talking about? I'm sorry. Me mind is going everywhere. We have to do this now. We have to. Rock Day, 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 45th day in the trees. How very peculiar. I open my journal to write an entry, and I find someone has already written a great deal. It's strange. The handwriting is clearly mine, but leaving aside the fact that neither of us remember any of it, the person who wrote it doesn't sound like me. We would not act the way we described. Tornat's foolish, but he surely would never poke around a strange machine. He's not that foolish. And Suja, of course, cannot talk. Who wrote this? And how do they manage it without my knowing? I'm certain these entries were not there this morning. And the only time my pack was not on my back was when we stopped for lunch. Even then, my pack was in my sight the entire time. There is a nearly identical story in the other book. However, rather than being from my journal, it signed Haversh, a human accompanied by a gnome, Garlikin, and a human girl named Tabisha. Garlikin is not, to my knowledge, a gnome name. However, there are several notable Haverses in Ludar's A Brief History of Kraald, volumes 94 to 97. Also, they came out of a desert rather than a swamp. Most of the other details, down to much of the conversation, is identical. This makes the creature I found today seem a bit small. Well, it is small but it seems unimportant. Still, I feel that I should at least describe it. It took Torn several minutes to catch it, at my request. It is about the size of a mouse. It has a thinner body, but the light brown fur is very similar in feel. It moves about quickly, looking very alert. We currently have it inside of a cup, where Suju looks at it with a great deal of interest. The interesting thing about it, to me, is that it has six legs. I have often noticed that most creatures with fur, feathers or scales, excepting fish, have four limbs or fewer. Birds, wyverns, barrow, humans, dogs, horses. But there are very few six-limbed creatures. Most of the exceptions I know of are winged, like dragons or griffins. Most creatures with more limbs are creshly, or kin to them. Kreshli translates literally to plated, used to signify any arthropod. I thought it very interesting for that reason, and had Torn capture it from me, which he did after much scrambling around the rocky hillside it was scurrying over. Now it doesn't seem nearly as interesting. Now I almost wish we had taken the right fork instead of the left this morning. Skull Day 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 47th day in the trees. 
Suja wandered off today. We had just broken camp when we realized she was not there. We searched for her for half an hour before she wandered back into the campsite on her own. She followed us readily when we left, but it still worries me. What if she gets lost? What if something attacks her? Perhaps I worry needlessly. She is getting larger. Already, she is twice the size she was. But still, I am responsible for her. I have caused her to lose her mother and her sibling. How am I to bear it if she dies too? I wish to keep her safe, but I cannot keep her in the camp short of tying her, and I could not bear to do her that cruelty. I will speak no more on that today. I must think on it more first. Torn suffered some discomfort today. He lay in some long, almost feathery grasses while we stopped for lunch. After five minutes, he shot up, as though he had been bitten. He began to tear his clothing off, as though he had gone mad. I stood up to see what had happened to him, and he began to scratch furiously. He yelled out curses as he did so. The mildest of these, at least of those that I understood, was choke a god with his own entrails. The rest were less pleasant and more descriptive. I tried to catch hold of him to see what was wrong, but he kept hopping this way and that, scratching all over his body. Then he flung himself into the still pond we were resting by. He continued scratching, also splashing water on himself. I finally got enough sense out of him to know that he was itching, though I had already figured that out. It was five minutes before he could stop enough for us to talk. It would seem that he was allergic to the grasses. He had broken out into a terrible rash and he could not stop scratching at all. He still cannot, in fact. It has been a few hours, but he continues to scratch intermittently and the rash has spread to his face as well as more delicate areas. He looks as red as a parch root. I know I must not laugh at him, but it is proving very difficult. Erev Day, 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 48th day in the trees. I have seen something beautiful today. Where the path skirted around a tall hill, there was a trail leading up. There was a sign there which read Mesh Trassible, Merchant. We were suspicious, naturally, but the cautious hunter catches no game, and so we made our way up the trail. It was surprisingly well-worn, with grooves that seemed to have been left by a cart. At the top, I saw a ship. It was like those that sail on water, but larger. What I could see of the bottom was wedged rather than flat, which seemed strange to me. After all, what if it encountered rocks? But at the time, I thought of the swamp and how deep the water there was. I thought that it simply was made for deeper waters than the Trescu. Above the deck were two tall pieces of timber that seemed to have been the trunks of trees once. Between them stretched ropes. However, it was clear that it had not sailed anywhere in some time. It was half buried in the soil of the hill and had been converted into a building. 
It had a doorway set into the side, and there was a chair on the deck over it. In the chair was a person. This person was furred. Being black and white, Torn said that he looked very much like an animal he knows called a badger. This person called down to us, telling us to go through the door and that he would meet with us in a moment. He disappeared and we heard him moving across the deck. When we opened the door, we found ourselves in a very cramped room. I had to crouch down to fit and the place was full of odds and ends. I saw many lengths of rope, tools and odd items on the walls and numerous boxes everywhere. The person we had seen on the deck came in right after we did. He was heavy set and wore a red shirt and brown leather pants. One of his legs ended in a foot carved from wood. He was a nice man, but a hard bargainer. In the end, we traded two birds we had caught, half of my money and the remains of my old robe. In return, we got a coil of rope, a tent and heavy cloth torn assures me he can sew into winter robes for me. I also traded for a small knife for carving, though I did not tell Torn. Despite his sometimes irritating character, he has been a good friend to me these past few cycles. I intend to carve a walking stick for him. After the bargaining was done, Maish invited us to stay the night. While he gets visitors at least once a week, they rarely stay long enough to talk to him. Most of his customers are woodsmen or from towns in the woods. He knows of Pelevé Pal, and apparently it was he who sold them the metal used to make the spheres that descend into the swamps. His story is interesting. The ship, which is called the Wild Maiden, was not a ship of the water. Instead, it was a ship of the air, and Maish was the second mate on board. They had been exploring the woods from above, when they encountered a terrible swift storm. It crashed on the top of the hill, and when the storm was over, it was no longer in any condition to fly. The story of the Wild Maiden is, of course, quite well known, particularly to those whom Auster Brandon manages to corner at dinner parties. The magic sails that allowed it to move in air were torn, and they had no replacements. Most of the crew went home, Maish stayed, however, having lost his foot in the crash. Before they left, the rest of the crew and the captain helped him convert the ship into a home. They took what supplies they could, but ended leaving the bulk with Maish. In time, others learned of the ship, and that there were supplies to be had there. He began to trade with those who came to him, and soon had made a reputation as a reliable merchant for those in the woods. When he has no more of an item, the trading company sells him what he needs. When he said this, Torn blanched and took a step back. Seeing this, May shrugged. I don't deal in slaves, he said, but I have to live and there's no one else I can buy from. I wish there was someone else I could trade with, but there isn't. It's that way for a lot of folk in the woods. Torn nodded, but I could see that it bothered him. We sat on the deck that evening, 
and he bade us watch just past the hills on one side of his home. To the west, he said, though I am uncertain that east and west have any real meaning here. As the sun sank lower, I gradually became aware of shapes in the distance. They were tall, whatever they were, and thin. I soon was able to discern their nature. They were buildings, tall, graceful spires topped with domes. They were bathed in red and yellow from the sunset, so that I could not tell their true colours. They seemed transparent at first, then began to gain solidarity. I could not tell just how far they were, only that they were beyond the next hill. Still, they had to be quite large to be visible so far away. Shapes moved between them. Something in the city was flying. I tried to look closely, but the sun made it difficult. Boats, Mesh told us. He handed me a long, tapering tube made of metal, with glass on either end. I looked through it, and I saw that he was right. They were like boats, flying from building to building. There were people in them, but I could not tell what they were like. I passed the tube to Torn, who likewise gazed through it. Then the sun sank behind the hill, and the city vanished from sight. It was called the Glittering City, Mesh explained. Torn nodded, saying that he had heard of it. Apparently, it can be seen from any hill in the woods if one looks during the sunset. If you try to reach it, you can never find it. There are also stories of an old human trying to reach it, who can never reach it. Mesh claims that he once met the man, that he stopped for supplies. Mesh said that he had been told it was a city full of angels, cast out of a distant heaven, but still too virtuous for the many hells outsiders like him have conceived of. The old man was a devil, trying to find the nearest salvation. Torn said that it was a city where the stars rested during the day and that it became visible when they prepared to take their places in the sky. The old man was a shooting star, who had become lost when he'd landed and was trying to make his way home. The glittering city is a well-known phenomenon, but there is no consensus on its true nature. Suffice it to say, however, that these theories are, at best, highly unlikely. No matter what the city is, or who its inhabitants are, I found it a breathtaking sight. Tresday, 19th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 49th day in the trees. We left Maisha's home early in the morning. He was glad for our company, and when we stopped for lunch, we found that he had placed pastries filled with meat and cheese in our packs. I would suspect our nocturnal visitors, but I had seen him preparing them last night. Most Undkin are like Mesh Trassable, kind, generous, and good hosts. Most. I hope that I can pass by his home again to thank him. Torn began to skip around me during lunch, singing his annoying, cheerful songs. I snapped at him to stop, growling at him. He looked hurt, but stopped. 
I wish that I had not done so. Torn is a good friend. But today, I feel ill, and my patience is short. I apologized when I had calmed somewhat. Is this the rut? I am old enough now, but this is not the right time of the year. The rut should only come in the spring, and only if there is a female present. Perhaps it is the strange seasons of this land affecting me, but still there is no female here. My balance should not be so upset. Beyond that, my new robes feel tight. Have they shrunk? Thank you for listening. The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey is written by Dr. Everett Mann. You can browse Dr. Mann's articles and the other works of the library at wanderers-library.wikidot.com. This production is possible in large part because of our sponsors. John Beatty, Yesenia, Crowcat, Rounder House, Land2D, and John Winfield. Check the description to find out how to support this channel and future projects like this. This production and content relating to the Wanderer's Library is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 and all concepts originate from the Wanderer's Library wiki and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.